All right, well, hey, church, we've been going through the book of Mark, and it has been an incredible journey. We know the purpose of the book of Mark, the reason it was written, was to force the listener or force the reader to make a decision on who Jesus is. And so the climax of the book of Mark is them sitting and talking to Jesus, the disciples, and Jesus turns to them and he says to them, who do you say that I am? And as we've explored, church, that the answer to that question for us personally has everything to do with why we live, how we live, what we do, what our eternity looks like. It has everything to do with the question, who do you say that Jesus is? And so the book of Mark was written to force us to deal with that question that question. And we've seen he's a lot of incredible things, but this morning, church, we want to explore this idea that he is our satisfaction. He is what completes us. With that in mind, I want to tell you a story before we jump in. Uh, When I was early married and uh, Becky and I were just learning how to do this early marriage thing, you learn a lot about each other in that first year. Amen. They're married couples. Right, And I discovered very quickly that Becky was not a morning person. And uh, I'll never forget how much this ministered to me. Uh, So we were young in ministry. We had nothing to our name. And I was looking for a job. I got a job at FedEx. Well, if you know anything about FedEx, you got to be to work at like 3 a.m. in the morning. Okay, 3 a.m. in the morning. And I'll never forget, young Becky said, hey, I I really want to serve you, Shane. How can I serve you? I want to, she said, I just want to cook you breakfast in the morning. She didn't realize that I was going to get a job that meant that 3 a.m. in the morning. And I'll never forget the picture, church. And we were there, freshly married, and uh, she gets up to cook breakfast for me at like 2.30 a.m. in the morning. And I'll never forget, we had double doors in our first apartment. And uh, if any of you have ever seen Lord of the Rings, you know that scene where Aragon comes through the doors of Rohan, and he's just like, he's haggard, like he's just been through it. I'll never forget, Becky came barreling through those doors. She goes, opens them both hands. She looks up, she says, it is finished. (laughs) And it was at that moment, church, I was like, she completes me. She was willing to push past her dislike of mornings to serve me in that way. But I want to ask the question this morning, what completes us and how do we know that Jesus is our ultimate satisfaction? We're going to blaze through and overview a lot of scripture here. So bear bear with me as we jump into this. I'm going to set the stage for where we're going in this passage because it seems like we're skipping over a lot. But um, it all pulls into this conversation that Jesus has with the disciples about the yeast of the Pharisees, the yeast of the Pharisees. So if you got your Bibles, turn to Mark 8. We're going to be starting in verse 11. We're going to go through to verse 21. And as you're turning there, I want to describe to you what has happened up until this point in the passage. Number one, we've seen uh, in chapter 6, verses 30 through 43, we've seen Jesus feeds how many? I heard it, 5,000. We see Jesus feeds 5,000. And so there's 5,000 people out in the wilderness and uh, the disciples, Jesus sees that they're hungry and he says he has compassion on them. And uh, he says to the disciples, uh, well, you feed them. And the disciples look together and they're like, okay, well, how much is that going to cost, Jesus? And Jesus takes this small amount of food and he multiplies it 
Jesus has compassion on the crowds, but it's primarily, and it's important for us to see in the feeding of the 5,000, who is the intended audience here. And ultimately, the feeding of the 5,000 wasn't about the 5,000. And we're going to see that here in a moment. Who was it about? He was trying to teach his disciples something, okay? He was trying to teach his disciples something, okay? And we need to remember that as we look at the feeding of the 5,000. This was a teachable situation for the disciples because he turns to them and he says, you feed them. And then right after the feeding of the 5,000, we jump into this other incredible passage where the disciples were in a boat in the middle of Lake Gennesaret and who keeps, who like strolls on by? Jesus walking on water, right? And they were startled. It says they were astonished. Uh, Just Mark 6, 51 through 52 says, and he got into their boat with them and the wind ceased and they were utterly astounded. They were utterly astounded. And then it says, for they did not understand about the loaves. Do you see that in that passage? I want you to underline that. Because Jesus walking on water, it seems like a whole different occurrence, but it's, here's the thing, Jesus is still trying to teach the disciples the same lesson because he reverts it back to the feeding of the 5,000. He said that the disciples didn't understand about the loaves, the loaves. And so he's still trying to teach them that same question. Let's keep that in our minds, okay? There's two major biblical events, okay? And then it goes to the feeding of the 4,000, the 4,000. That's right, Mark 8, 4. And his disciples answered him, how can one feed these people with bread here in this desolate place? And so the disciples are asking the same question. You know, in the feeding of the 5,000, they said, Lord, how will we, how will we feed this many people? And then he's walking on the water and it says that he doesn't, the disciples didn't understand the loaves. And then we get to the feeding of the 4,000 and the disciples have the same question. How will we feed this many people? Okay. And here's where we find ourselves. Jesus has just written a love letter of events to the disciples to trust Christ and be satisfied in him alone. Okay, I'm going to say that again. It was a love letter of events to teach the disciples to trust Christ and be satisfied in him alone. Okay, so uh, this morning we're going to hopefully arrive at a place beyond wanting. I, liked, I thought this was a very appropriate picture for that, because that's me every time I see pie, right? Okay, it's just the place I'm wanting. Well, let's read here the important passage, Mark chapter 8, verse 14. Now they had forgotten to bring bread, and they had only one loaf with them in the boat. And he cautioned them, saying, watch out, beware of the leaven of the Pharisees and the leaven of Herod. And they began discussing with one another the fact that they had no bread. And Jesus, aware of this, said to them, Why are you discussing the fact that you have no bread? Do you not yet perceive or understand? Are your hearts hardened? Having eyes, do you not see? And having ears, do you not hear? And do you not remember? When I broke the five loaves for the 5,000, how many baskets full of broken pieces did you take up? And they said to him, you want to read it with me? 12, okay? Verse 20, and the seven for the 4,000, how many baskets full of broken pieces did you take up? And they said to him, seven. And he said to them, do you not yet understand? Do you not yet understand? 
Oh, Lord Jesus, I pray this morning that you would help us understand, not just to know, but to know. God, I pray that that would be us this morning. In your name, Jesus, we pray. Amen. And so that first part, Jesus here is warning the disciples of something called the leaving of the Pharisees and the end of Herod. For us, we need to ask the question, what does he mean here? First, what is yeast or what is, uh, we'll call it leaving or leaving can be yeast is what? It's this baking thing. I'm not much of a baker, but you put it in bread and here's what I know. It raises because of the yeast. So if you don't put yeast in the bread, what doesn't happen? It doesn't rise, right? It doesn't rise. But a little, a little bit of yeast, what? Affects the whole batch. Affects the whole batch, right? And so here, Jesus is warning about something that can get into the church, can get into our hearts, and then it can end up affecting what? The whole church, our whole lives. So he's warning about these. And so he's saying, beware of the yeast or beware of the leaven of the Pharisees and the Herod. Um, the pre previous passage to this, the Pharisees are complaining, Jesus, you haven't shown us enough signs. We need more to believe. And so Jesus' warning to the disciples is, don't fall into this place where it's never enough. It's never enough. Have you ever been there? Have you ever pursued something because you thought that it would satisfy your soul and satisfy your heart and you came to the end of it and it left you wanting? It, le it was just not enough. It wasn't enough. For some of us, that's fame. For some of us, that was, that's riches. How many of you have ever said, if I just had, then I would be satisfied? You ever said that? Oh, come on now. Let's see some heads. Okay, Yeah shaking up and down. If we just had more people at the church, if there was just more power, if there was more miracles, here's what the, the Pharisees were saying. If there was more miracles, if there was more signs, if, if Jesus, if you just did more things that came my way, then I would believe and then I would follow you. We call that in scripture, the fleece treatment, right? God, if you just give me more signs, if you just show me more, then I will follow you. Anybody found yourself in your prayer life making bargains with God? We call that the fleece treatment. God, if you just do this, then I will. See, that's the yeast of the Pharisees because ultimately we began to believe that it's never enough. And we know from Scripture that you can gain the whole world, but what? Lose your soul. And so sometimes in the pursuit, so he's warning the disciples from all of these passages, look, don't be left wanting more. Don't keep asking for more if your heart is just for the things that you're asking for, because it will never satisfy. It will never be enough. And you will be positioned in your relationship with God as more of a business transaction. God does not want to have a business transaction with you, brothers and sisters. He wants a relationship with you. By the way, I think this applies, and we're seeing this lived out in marriages. Too many people get into marriages as if they were a business transaction. And then what happens when you stop bringing me joy or stop making me feel good? What happens? We get out. Because in our minds, this was a business transaction. When I got married, you're supposed to just make me feel good. And we know for those of us who've been married for any length of time, there are seasons where you don't always feel good, but you continue in uh, relationship with one another because it's more than just about feeling good. 
See, this is the relationship that God wants with us. He wants to know that we, he is, we're not following him just so that we can feel good. Brothers and sisters, everybody would be a believer if it was just about feeling good and God just gave us everything we want. But there's a reason why God hasn't just given us all everything that we want all the time. I think many of us, we bargain with God. We think, man, God, if you just give me a bigger salary... I already had this conversation with somebody today. What if I just win the lottery? How many have trained that thought all the way through? Like, I'd give a little bit away, right? Um, God, just, you know, if I won the lottery. One more time, different timings. Romanticizing the old days. How many of us have done that? If you just make it like it used to be. Anybody longing for the old days? I see some laughter out there. God, if you just made it like it used to be, it would be good. And he's saying, I'm not just going to do that. I have something better for you. Because the old days didn't satisfy, did they? What happened before didn't satisfy. It wasn't enough. Otherwise, we wouldn't be here where we are today. I think many of us say, oh, man, it's, if I just had more health, God, if I just had more health, I would serve you more. Anybody said that? Funny enough how good health tends to be pretty temporary, doesn't it? Something's always coming along the pipeline, and so we're always waiting for another sign. God, give me more health before I'll serve you, before I jump in in faith. And here God is saying, look, there's not ever going to be a place where you have enough health to save me. You need to walk in relationship with me and trust me. And there's something beautiful for you at the end of that. There's something beautiful for you at the end of that. See, many of us are walking through our life in faith with a starvation mentality. We're constantly starving and we're continually starving and always consuming, but never feeling full. And so church, we have to eliminate this starvation mentality in the Lord, because then what does the church become? I'm here to get whatever I can because I'm starving. I need, I need, I need, I need. And so that was the yeast of the Pharisees. It was never enough. They always wanted more because they didn't want relationship with Jesus. They wanted a business transaction. But then there's another guy mentioned, Herod. Everybody say, bum, bum, bum. Okay, Herod, this guy, Herod, he was, they called him Herod the Great. He was Herod the Atrocious in actuality because this guy was not a good guy. And so this would have like sent concerning signs to the disciples that Jesus was saying, beware of the, of the, the yeast of, the, of Herod, because they would have been like, dude, that guy's awful. Let me tell you a little bit about Herod. Herod, I visited Herod's houses because he was Herod the Great. He built really great things at the sacrifice and the cost of everybody else around him. He was an extremely insecure man. Every one of his mansions, he would build a pool so that he could drown people by his own hands in the pools at his houses that were against his political reign, his detractors. This is an evil dude. You think that's, that's not even the pinnacle of his insecurity. Herod, he also killed his sons and one of his wives because he was afraid that they would overthrow him. Out of insecurity, he killed people that he loved because he was so insecure. He felt like he had to hold on or control everything. I would call that a starvation mentality. This is mine. How many of us today are holding on to our things? Like, this is mine. I can't let go of it. 
I have to do everything to, I can to hold on to it. And so that, I would call that the, the feet or the yeast of Herod, the yeast of Herod that we're so insecure. We're so worried about losing things that we never walk in faith with Jesus. We're so afraid to take risks for his namesake because we feel like, man, we just have to keep what we got. And I don't want to lose anything. And so there's a sense of insecurity there. But for us, we don't need another sign, brothers and sisters. Everything we have Everything we need to have for faith in Jesus Christ has already been given us. Do you know that? Everything we need to walk in boldness today has already been given to us in Christ. And, and I even think about, um, I have a lot of conversations with atheists uh, about what it means to believe in God and to have proof beyond a reasonable doubt. And I think many people would argue that Man, it's a slam dunk when you think about proof beyond a reasonable doubt. We have proof, not only does God exist, but that Jesus did what he did, that it is confirmed both historically, but also by the very power of itself, what's in scriptures. If you've read it and it comes alive and it blows open your life, then you know there's proof beyond a reasonable doubt. But what the Pharisees wanted was proof beyond an unreasonable doubt. Because what were they looking for? Any reason not to believe. I call that volition. You just don't want to see the truth. Has that ever been you? Has it ever been? Or you just like, I don't care about the facts. I don't care about God's movement. I just don't. And that's where the, the Pharisees found themselves. I heard this quote uh, the, this week, actually. Funny how, I think I've told you guys, it's amazing. I'm writing a sermon and it's like God just like pounds me all week on this. Um, but he said this, uh, th this is from Dallas Willard. God gives enough evidence of his existence so that those who want to believe will have their beliefs justified, but not so much that those who don't want to believe will feign loyalty. Brothers and sisters, if God just like, blue, like he just kind of like peeled up the sky and was like, hey guys, I'm here and I'm in charge. There's no room for atheism at that point, right? But what you have are a lot of people that are forced to be or have to feign loyalty, lie to themselves. I don't want to follow this God. I don't want to submit to him, but how do you argue against that? Have you ever wondered why God didn't just peel back the sky or just show us an amazing sign? It's because he doesn't want a bunch of people that are feigning loyalty. He wants people who love him and trust him and walk with him. And so you see there in the, in the passage in verse 18, uh, as we see, he asks the disciples questions. So he talks about the yeast of the Pharisees. And he says, having eyes, do you not see? And having ears, do you not hear? And do you not remember? For us, believers, brothers and sisters, perspective is everything. We've said this before. If you want to stick your head in the sand and not see where God's moving, it's really easy to do so. But if you pick your head up and you begin to read scripture and your perspective starts to change and you're walking with Jesus, did you know you see him moving and working every day, every single day? He knows the good works beforehand that he's prepared for us that we might walk in them. That means every day you walk into, God has something prepared for you to witness him, to see him, to experience his work through you and in your life. Have you seen it or have you missed it? Having eyes, do you not see? And having ears, do you not hear? I'm looking around and I'll tell you this week, I had some amazing conversations where it was like, oh, God, what are you doing? This is amazing. 
God already has displayed and spoke everything already that you need in order to be complete. I'm going to say that again because that's really important to eliminate the starvation. God has already put in your life the word of God, the people. You have everything you need for life and completeness in him. Did you know that? We have only to lay hold of it and choose satisfaction in Christ and the abandonment of the world. We don't need a better proof in the dirt. I think many of us are waiting for archaeological discovery um, to believe more. I've talked to many who are waiting for some type of something more. Those are nice. Archaeological discoveries are nice, especially when they're affirming of our faith. But if you know anything about archaeology, it can never prove completely. And it never will. Why? Because God wants it this way for those who will choose to follow him. We don't need more proof. He's given us all that we need for completeness and faith in him. This passage in verse 18 actually comes from several passages in the Old Testament, but I'm going to just pull one out. Jeremiah 5, 21 through 22 says this, and this is almost like a direct quote. If you know something about Jesus, Jesus had a tendency to take the word of God in the Old Testament and then quote it again because God's truth is for us forever, isn't it? And so Jeremiah 5, 21 says, Hear this, O foolish and senseless people who have eyes, but see not, who have ears, but hear not. Do you not fear me, declares the Lord? Do you not tremble before me? I place the sand as the boundary for the sea, a perpetual barrier that it cannot pass. Though the waves toss, they cannot prevail. Though they roar, they cannot pass over it. In Jeremiah, it's talking about, look at all of the miracles of God in his creation. And for us, Jeremiah is trying to show Israel that a low view of God is offensive to his character. Brothers and sisters in the church, I think we have a low view of God problem. We're like, God is nice, but I got to do it. God is great, but you know what? I'm going to have a backup plan. And so what does that communicate to a world? We don't trust God. We don't believe that he can provide. We don't believe that he can walk on water. We don't believe that he can do the miraculous in our lives in the day-to-day life. And so what do we do? Then we spend time. So that communicates to a world that we have a low view of God. And then we spend so much time looking with our eyes at the things we don't have. Anybody taking a trip down that lane where you spend so much time looking at them? Those that have the things that you wish you had. As you know, our whole culture is fashioned after that, by the way, right? Celebrity culture. It's like Satan has propped up a whole idolatry factory so it can steal your attention. It wants you to look at them and it wants you to envy them and want the things they have. How are they doing? It's garbage. It hasn't been enough for them. Celebrity hasn't been enough for them. Fame hasn't been enough for them. They're a wreck. But yet, who are the professionals that give us all kinds of advice on what we're supposed to buy? They're professionals on what we need, aren't they? No, but they sure spend a lot of time telling us what we need, don't they? Where do you think that comes from? Satan wants your eyes on them. He wants your eyes on the things that you don't have and that you're desiring over God. And if he can keep you in that place of starvation, of wanting, if he can keep your eyes fixated on the things that you don't have, he wins. 
Brothers and sisters, what do we have? We have the Lord who has paid the price for our sin. We have relationship with God who created the universe. What more could we need? He's got cattle on a thousand hills. We can trust him with every low time and every high time. He has what we need. Our satisfaction then is not about what he gives, but who he is. And that's why a Christian can say, I have joy in the suffering. And I have joy in Christ because my contentment comes from him alone. Not in the things that I have, not in my abilities, not in my health, not in my wealth. In Jesus alone, I have everything I need. Brothers and sisters, if we had that mentality, look out worlds, look out Riverton, because they would see a people desperately dependent and trusting on Jesus. And that changes an environment. And you become like what you behold, this principle in Scripture. If we're staring at Jesus and beholding Him, what happens to us? We become transformed from the inside out. And we begin transformation from glory to glory into the image of Christ. More like Him day to day. As empty as the shows that never end, the reels that are limitless, the good health that is ever elusive and temporary anyway, the world has us staring at things that are leaving us empty. Look at the statistics. The anxiety, the depression, the substance abuse. Why does that come? Because we're desperately clinging for something to make it feel okay. That's all of us. You were created to be satisfied in God alone. And so nothing, nothing will satisfy that God-sized hole in your heart, but God himself. But God himself. And that's where I love, I've been reading Ecclesiastes in my, uh, in my quiet times. It is all vanity, useless apart from God, but to abide in him gives everything its appropriate limit. Everything then in this world becomes helpful, but not wholeful. You see what I did there? Helpful but not whole full. Are the things of this earth inherently sinful? Well, no, God created them. They're, they're to be used for his glory. They're helpful, but they cannot become whole full. They will not complete you unless they have their appropriate limit. By the way, this happens in marriages and relationships too. Can you make a God out of a person in your life? And can they bear that responsibility? No, one person cannot be your whole world Marriages, why are they thrown apart? Because they bear the weight of having to be everything that the, uh, the partner needs. They can't be. And so what happens? It's torn apart because they're not God. But if both parties know and are satisfied by God, what happens? Something beautiful. My wife used to call it, she called it the dessert principle. She said, if God is your main course, your spouse gets to be your dessert. But that's... <laughs> I love that she just, just did that. Yeah. Mm -hmm. I'm a lucky man, guys. Uh, but I think many of us have treated the world as if it would give us contentment. And so what does that do? Well, it steals the, the good things that God has given us, doesn't it? And those things don't have their limits, and they become God things instead of just helpful things. And so we're even missing the good gifts that God gives us because we've made something it isn't. You want to enjoy the things of this world? Enjoy God above all else. 
and see the rest of it come into its right place. God, I love this saying. It's, it's from uh, uh, John Piper. It says, and I used to have a t-shirt. This was my motto for a while. God is most glorified in us when we are most satisfied in him. God is most glorified in us when we are the most satisfied in him. Okay? You want to share the gospel? Drink deep of the joy of the Lord. And I've said this, and then watch it just spill out of you. But many of us are left desperately clinging to keep what we've done or what we've accomplished. I see a lot of people, did you know, I was just uh, watching a study that we are chemically driven to the process and not to the arrival. So there's a sense that we're chemically driven to never arrive. Why did God make that that way? Because the only arrival is not on this earth. The only arrival for us is in Christ. And then he leaves with this, do you remember? Do you remember? Do you remember? What is it important for a Christian to remember? Do you not remember what has been done on the cross on our behalf? And I think about, man, how there's nothing greater in my life that I'm going to accomplish other than what's been accomplished for me in Jesus And so if you're here and you're like, I just have so much more to do and you have this big level of anxiety. By the way, anxiety has eclipsed depression in in our society. You know why? Because we've bought into that lie that there's more, more to do, that we can do bigger things than what has already been done for us. But see, Paul in Philippians 4, he begins to unpack this idea of what we call contentment. I want you to say contentment with me. Contentment. Okay, he says this, Philippians 4, 11 through 13. Philippians 4, 11 through 13. Um, so do you remember? It says, not that I'm speaking of being in need, for I have learned, I have learned in whatever situation I am to be content. I know how to be brought low, and I know how to abound. And in every circumstance, I have learned the secret it's a secret, of facing plenty and hunger, abundance and need. I can do all things through him who strengthens me. How many of you have just heard the last part of that verse? I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. That means I can be a linebacker for the Broncos. No, but there's this sense that Paul is saying, I've discovered the secret to contentment. What is the secret to contentment in this life? It is Jesus and Jesus alone. I don't need more. I don't need more because I have Jesus. And see, Paul understood that. And even earlier on in that passage, he talks about one of the secrets to doing that is this position of, uh, for those who are anxious, by by prayer and supplication, let your requests be made known to God, right? And the God of peace. So it says, with thanksgiving in that passage. So everybody say this with me, Thanksgiving. It's not just a one-time event in the year where we eat turkey. Thanksgiving is a continual process of allowing our eyes to see the things that God is doing. And see, Thanksgiving and prayer through Thanksgiving eliminates anxiousness. It eliminates anxiousness. And for us then today, that means there is no higher accomplishment than what Jesus has already accomplished. So everything now in life becomes a dessert. It becomes a bonus. 
It becomes a bonus. It becomes a blessing of the Lord. We're receiving so much more than we deserve, than we earned. And so for us, that means there is no more bucket list. Now we get to be present today and not worry about what we didn't get to experience and see. Anybody under that pressure? Well, we're constantly looking at the clock. The, the term for young kids today is FOMO, fear of missing out. And they walk around in anxiety, afraid that they're going to miss out on something cool, something amazing. And so it freezes them. They're afraid to make decisions because if I make a decision, that means I could miss out on the, what, the other way that it could have gone. And then we live our life, what, just totally imprisoned by decision-making. Anybody been there? Contentment eliminates that. You're like, I've already got everything I could possibly need. I don't, even if my decision is a mistake, are you going to make bad decisions? Everybody with me? Yes. Your pastor makes bad decisions. Um, sometimes, but thank goodness that it's already been done. It's already been accomplished for me through Christ. And so there's nothing I'm going to miss out on. There's nothing. There's no greater gift that I could receive than I've already received. And that's where Jesus rolls into our lives and he says what? It is finished. It is finished. It's done for us. And we walk in satisfaction. And here's where Jesus, I love that Jesus nails it home for us. He goes into the passage where he talks about the loaves. And he said, at the end of the 5,000 or the feeding of the 5,000, how many did you have left over? Do you guys remember the number? It was 12. How many guys were the 12 disciples? Oh, okay. Well, let's keep going. Then he says, after the feeding of the 4,000, how much was left over? Seven. Okay. The first one was immediately obvious to us, but what we need to know about the number seven in Scripture is it's called the number of completion. I want that to just sit on you for a second. So what essentially is Jesus saying? Because he says at the end, right, do you not yet understand? At the end of 5,000, you had 12 baskets. And at the end of 4,000, you had what? Seven baskets. It's a love letter to the disciples to say that the 12 will have everything they need unto completion. They will be complete in me. Do you not yet understand that we don't have to walk around saying, oh, how are we going to do this? We don't have to walk around. How are we going to do this? We can now know that in Christ Jesus, if we're walking with him, he will accomplish his ministry. Everybody take a big sigh. (sighs) Press into that, brothers and sisters. Feel that satisfaction because as soon as you walk out that door, the enemy wants to rob it from you. So you have to cling to it. Preach it to yourself day in and day out. I have all that I need in Jesus Christ. And so if anything happens bad today, it doesn't matter because I have everything that I need in Jesus Christ. And if, I, if God blesses me big, that's okay. I'm not going to get overly excited because I already have the biggest prize that one can lay hold of in Jesus Christ. Brothers and sisters, this is what I want for us as a church. So what? What do I want you to walk away with? Would you get off the hamster wheel of wanting more and instead be satisfied in Jesus and view everything else as a sweet dessert? And then glorify God by being satisfied in him. Let him be your greatest satisfaction. Uh, If you are in our small group, some questions to consider today. Um, small groups, if you talk these over, what wants or desires do you have that get in the way of being satisfied in Christ? 
And then how can we begin to increase our taste for the things of God instead of the things of this world? I encourage you to think on, to pray over those things. Um, And I'd just like to uh, close with this. God has given us everything we need. Everything's a bonus. But I just want to point out a couple of his blessings. I see Kayla over here with us. And I know it's her birthday. And uh, I think we forgot to sing happy birthday. So before we close, I'd just like us to sing a little happy birthday. We've been blessed by God because Kayla's here with us today. And her mom. Let's, let's sing. Ready? And we want to keep praying for Kayla as uh, she continues to uh, recover health. Guys, I also just want to point out, we got some baptisms coming up in the coming weeks that I'm super excited about. We're going to be hearing about the testimony of what God is doing in people's lives. I've talked to a few in our church. It's like, I have to share with the congregation what God is doing because my mind is blown and I need to praise God by sharing the testimony. Everybody say, Amen. And so as the weeks follow, as we have baptisms, as we hear testimonies, can we just spend some time being satisfied in God for what he's doing here? This is amazing. God be praised. I'm going to pray for you. But as God works in your life, can I encourage you? Would you write down those stories? I want us to, as a church, start saying, yay, God, look at what he's doing. Because I'll tell you, there's a lot of opportunity to look at other things elsewhere. But let's have a yay God time on Sundays together. We can celebrate and then go into our week going, oh man, I can't wait to see what else he does. Lord Jesus, we pray that. I pray that over my brothers and sisters here, God. We look with anticipation, God, about what you're going to accomplish this week. Lord, I pray and ask that some would come to faith through the ministry of the people here this week, God, we pray and ask, God, would there be salvation? God, would there be healing? Would there be uh, emotional healing? God, would there be, uh, God, just repentance? God, would, would you heal people through repentance and walking them back towards you? God, there would there be restoration through the ministry of this church this week, God. I pray that we would go in the boldness knowing that you've already given us everything we need to accomplish the greatest things that you have for us, that you've written before time that we might walk in them. And so, Lord, I pray that. I also pray if there's any here, God, who have not walked in that satisfaction, who don't know what it means to taste and see that the Lord is good through Jesus Christ. I pray today would be the day of their salvation. God, I pray that you would press upon them to come and talk to an elder or come and talk to me so that we might rejoice and share with them the good news of Jesus Christ. And so, Lord, I pray that. I pray that. I pray that over our church and for those here who don't know you and for those in this neighborhood. God, for those in this county, Lord, we pray that we would be such a satisfied people that we couldn't help but spill over into the surrounding areas with your Holy Spirit, with your joy. God, we pray that in your name. Amen.